timing is horrendous. <clears throat> Hello, everyone. We're, yeah, we're live. Timing is always, always an issue. Such is life. Welcome back to Art Fisher. We're taking a, a gander at Paul Thomas Anderson today. PTA. Yeah, not PDA, PTA. And not Paul W.S. Anderson. No, no, no. Populist filmmaker W.S. Anderson. Shut your mouth. We're just confusing the audience with each episode. And not Wes Anderson. You know, the other episode we did, this one is Paul Thomas Anderson. All right. Well, you know you know a little bit more about him from the beginning. Um, you've seen his shorts. He usually uh, works yeah, pants, but you. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so Paul Paul Thomas Anderson uh, was born in Los Angeles. Uh, he grew up around film sets and radio stars and television stars. His dad was in radio and television. I think he was known for like hosting some some kind of like horror radio show. Um. But yeah, basically he was shooting movies from a very young age and was just constantly surrounded by famous people. And that probably formed a fair amount of who he is and who he was going to become, just sort of knowing that he would be a writer or a filmmaker of some kind. Uh, he, I know he made the, the Dirk Diggler story, which is a short film in the late 80s. Uh, before he like was even in college and uh, that movie would later go on to become boogie nights uh for the most part uh but he went to college dropped out after a few years interestingly had david foster wallace a uh, famous postmodern author uh as a professor at one point uh dropped out of school made a bunch of money gambling and then made a, another short film called Cigarettes and Coffee. Um, and that did really well at the Sundance Festival, which allowed him to get into the Sundance feature film program. The result of which was him actually being taught technically how to make like a feature film. Uh, and so he turned Cigarettes and Coffee into Hard Eight, his first movie. Um, stars Philip Baker Hall, Samuel Jackson, John C. Riley, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, and the movie is about gamblers and con men. Um, it's it's a pretty good movie. I how much? It. How much did he make gambling? I thought he only made like ten thousand. Yeah. Oh, that's... cigarettes and coffee only cost like twenty thousand. So I think he made ten oh, k. And then, like, maxed out a few credit cards, and that's how he made that movie. Gotcha. I was going to I mean, 10000 back then in the, what, early 90s? Mm-hmm. That's a decent amount of money, but, yeah. It's not It's not like he made, like, 500000 But It's like still. how Kevin Smith made Clerks. He just maxed out, like, six credit cards. Huge, huge brain. Just go all in. Well, yeah, that's Kevin Smith is a story for another time. <laughs> um, 
New York Islanders, Kevin Smith. Yes. I believe that's his team. I, I, I picture him in orange and blue. Yeah, that's he loves the, the Islanders. <sighs> um, but basically, Hard Eight put put Anderson on the map. Um, it was really really well reviewed by a lot of critics. It did not make much money. It's actually a common theme amongst Anderson's films is they rarely make a lot of money. Um, it cost something like three million, and it it did not recoup the losses, but. Um, it was a proof of concept that he was a visionary original filmmaker who could write original scripts. Um, this movie, I would say, feels a lot like a Hitchcock movie, um, a bit like an Altman movie, Scorsese, like some big names of people who made a lot of crime thrillers, crime dramas. Um, feels very reminiscent of those. But it separated um, him from like other people who were making movies in a similar genre where it wasn't just like man man with gun need to like secure MacGuffin or whatever uh, or it just is that and it's done in a different way yeah it, it has a really frenetic energy to it okay. so if, like the editing and the shot choices I assume demonstrate like his his abilities yes yeah okay it's a pretty well shot movie overall. Not definitely not his best. Um, I would imagine that on both fronts. Yeah, it has That's a very well. open ended ending. OK, um, so I don't really want to spoil it because it is worth worth a watch. Um, but it's the a lot of the content of the plot of the movie is very similar to his next one. Just to uh, just to nights. backtrack here, you're talking about Heart Eight, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. His first hard eight. Just making sure. Yeah. Primarily, it is about John C. Riley, who's like a hobo, who learns, uh, like he he is the protege of um, Philip Baker Hall, who's like an experienced gambler and con man. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And in the middle of the story, there's a Phil, John C. Riley has a relationship with Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, so there's a bunch of like paying for sex, gambling, tons of violence. There's a really good scene at the end of, uh, like just perfect Hitchcockian suspense, um, which as usual ends with Samuel Jackson being killed as is, <laughs> as is tradi- people may not literally know it. ruined. It doesn't, I mean, it does not ruin the movie because no, that's no, not no. the end of the movie. There's no, more. I know um, it. I mean, him being in the movie kind of in in the 90s is just like, oh, so Samuel L. is going to get got. He gets killed in so many 90s movies. Yes. Uh, I yeah, I probably shouldn't say more because I don't want to spoil just a swath of other movies. But (laughs) um, I mean, now, if if anyone goes into a movie and they're like, hey, this is from the 90s. Oh, Samuel L.'s in this. Uh oh. Well, there are a few where he doesn't, where you think that he would. So. And they all, and those movies typically fake it out. Like the music comes up, and you're like him turning a corner, assuming that like some spear is gonna get like run through him or something. Yeah, <clears throat> well, we haven't talked too much about. Um, we we've picked a lot of more serious 
TV and films and, and things to cover on here. We haven't dived into uh, some of the more glorious schlock that uh, I'm at least a, a huge fan of. But those will p- definitely be titled schlock cast and it'll just be like the Samuel L. Deep Blue Sea dive or something like that. Exactly. That's that's where I would begin is with Deep Blue Sea because that's the perfect like they literally set him up as like the guy in that situation <laughs> who's going to live. And he gives this rousing speech of how they're going to get out alive. Cause he already like the setup is that he survived some like horrific tumultuous accident, uh, in the past. And then he just gets gobbled up by a shark. As soon as the speech ends, isn't he, just... he a doctor? No, he's like, a. Or is he the scientist on the Islander? Or no, he gets flown into the, the <laughs> shark research station um, because I think he's on the board of the company, maybe like he's the CEO or a shareholder um, and he's and, there to like do an audit, basically, and make sure the money's being spent correctly. And then, you know, the plot of the movie is that a bunch of sharks got turned super smart <laughs> Uh, and yeah, then and kill everyone. And it seems like he's in the movie in order to like fix everything. And then the movie's like, uh-uh, <laughs> no way. Because he is the best actor in the movie by a mile, other than Shell and Skarsgård. Uh, Good God, that's right. He's just casually in that. Yeah. Uh. Th- yeah. There's that. It's a weird cast. Uh. LL Cool J plays the. <laughs> stereotypical like southern black chef who has a fucking parrot uh the yeah, parrot we, and ll cool j survived the film we gotta that's the biggest twist we gotta get back to that uh we gotta get back to to that back at some point. Track. yeah oh, oh back oh we'll 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 do that episode one day but yeah back to to this uh What's that guy's name michael rapport yeah he's he's in that too yes that that dude um but yeah Bo- boogie so hard eight came out in 96 boogie nights came out in 97 yeah and like you said hard eight is a, a precursor to boogie nights boogie nights took hard eights cast and then like ramped it up even more and really put mark Wahlberg on the on the map right because Mark Wahlberg before this was Marky Mark then, I assume. Yeah, a, a rapper. And then uh, he inserted him here. And I mean, yeah, he's 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 strong in this movie, I would say. You haven't seen this one. Not the whole way through, no. Julianne Moore is in it. Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Don Cheadle, John C. Riley, Riley, H. Macy, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Heather a Graham. lot of people that he would... Yeah, and Heather Graham. A, a lot of people that he would work with repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, this this movie is is uh, it's extremely self aware. Um, which, like, if you go into it without knowing what it is, uh, y- you'll definitely enjoy it. I mean, you know what it is, but I'm ta- more so talking about the audience. So, I really don't want to ruin it for anyone out there. Um. But basically, Mark Wahlberg is in the porn industry. Um, and is, is he incredibly well endowed like he is in the Dirk Diggler story? Yes. OK. Yes. This man, this man is is definitely flaunting a sledgehammer 
Like he's he he's doing well. And there there's a really good quote in it, and I won't ruin it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a very self aware story, um, and it really starts to assert uh, Anderson's style. Where I'm sure it was it was uh, evident in Heart Eight, but it's not it's not a um, I really don't want to ruin it um, for you. We're but... gonna have. I'm going to ruin every other movie he's made. So, okay. Well, anyway, it feels, it feels like a, a satisfying or like a happy ending, but it is not like, like it ends and you're like, Oh, well that's, that's kind of good. And then you just like kind of stop for five minutes and then you're like, but wait, this character wanted this and this character, wait, why they seem happy, but they definitely aren't (laughs) like, that's Everyone that's like how it ends. kind of they're like yeah characters are settling but then all their characters are there to like support someone and you're just like okay this is definitely not what they wanted um which is a continual thing with with anderson like he he doesn't all of his movies aren't tragedies right but they they have like jagged edges to them and typically, like the climax of the story is something violent happens, resulting in a character either turning face or then settling or tragedy striking because of that decision. I would say. Gotcha. Yeah, I've always I've always viewed the three movies he made in the nineties as being a part of one uh like one era of him as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And then there's a larger gap like between Magnolia and There Will Be Blood, where he only made one movie uh, and shot a lot of music videos, um, which is sort of an in-between period before he evolved into like a completely self-assured, um, very high-quality filmmaker. But th- I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about this for the most part. Um, I've been meaning to see it it's a long movie and I kind of know what I'm getting into and know I'll enjoy it, which is why I haven't seen it because, you know, a two and a half hour movie filled with gratuitous sex and violence made by Paul Thomas Anderson with, uh, I've, I've only seen it once and I definitely watched it on the portable DVD player. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, and I watched it like way too young. So it was just like, the gratuitous sex and violence where, where my brain was like, whoa, this is a lot. What's what's happening here? I've never seen anything like this before. And then, yeah, like it, it is. It's definitely sexploitative in some ways. Um, But it's it's doing what? Yeah, I don't think you can make a movie about a well endowed porn Mark Wahlberg without exploiting no, but- sex. Well, what's but, but my point is it's sexploitative, but then it's it's also like shifting gears to do something that's like completely self-aware. Like it's not just like doing the schlock with it. Um, and a lot of the camera work that's in it, similar to Magnolia, like really pins down the emotion of the scenes as opposed to it just being like about porn and a director. Um, yeah perfect segue into magnolia 
Yeah, so basically, Hard Eight was, you know, a very competent film made by a burgeoning amateur. Boogie Nights is the proof of concept that Anderson is a professional filmmaker. Hugely successful, actually made money, nominated for awards, Oscars, didn't win him any or win anybody any. Um, But it allowed him to work with uh, a lot of the same people and... Basically, he was given a blank check and told, make whatever you want. Um, So he went into Magnolia hoping to make like a small personal drama. Uh, And then my my guess is, I have never substantiated this, but due to the nature of the movie, my guess is that Anderson was on a lot of amphetamines, i.e. cocaine at the time, and that he just kept having more and more ideas. And so this movie ballooned into a, an over three hour long uh, opus about small stories. That yeah, it was into one gigantic story. I was going to say when you said a small drama and then I like I was thinking about it and I was like, that is not what it is. And then I clicked on IMDb, an epic mosaic of interrelated characters, <laughs> which is yep. definitely what it is. It's definitely an opus with many, many separate characters. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Jason Robards. Damn. Yeah, this was Jason Robards' final film, I believe. Yeah, R.I.P. He's great in uh, Julius Caesar, actually, in one mm. of the Caesar um, adaptations. He plays Brutus. <clears throat> okay. He kills it. Um, yeah, Tom Cruise, Jason Robards, Julianne Moore, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, yeah, enormous ensemble cast. William H. Macy again. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of different stories in this one. I'm, I don't know if it's seven. I think it's either six or seven. But the the emotion, like, I would argue comes even more, uh, like, full circle in this as opposed to Boogie Nights, um, which doesn't make it better than Boogie Nights. It's just like more of the point of this movie. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the stories don't all overlap, although many of them do. The main point is that it is an extremely um, earnest approach to just mining emotion from a lot of very different characters that builds as the movie goes on, um, produces a very specific type of um melancholic sort of bittersweet energy that mm-hmm. builds and builds and builds until finally uh the semi-controversial ending yeah because i know um, some people like boogie nights is far more considered a classic than this is um this movie is largely still considered too long melodramatic um sort of bigger than it needed to be to get its point across. Uh, and it has, you know, a ridiculous ending. Um, yes. That, that I think a lot of people were like, okay, so. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree that that's most people's takes from this movie. Um, that was definitely my initial thoughts on it after seeing it um i've only seen this one once somehow i've only seen 
all of his movies once, except for There Will Be Blood. Um, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this one. It it leaves a lot to think about after finishing it. Obviously, as you said, it is a an opus. It's kind of like finishing a novel. Like after you finish a novel, like you kind of need like maybe a day or a few days to to really like kind of bathe in the impact of of all of the different characters. I, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent here, but this this kind of feels like a a completely separate. There's some type of thread that connects this with American Beauty. I'm not sure what it is. It may be the way that it like that it came out the same year. Um, and like the emotion that it's going after is similar. Um, but the the endings are completely different. Like the the call to action and like the philosophies I think are like way different. But for some reason, yeah, that movie also comes to mind when thinking about this. Hmm. I don't know if it's because they're both like on. Well, American Beauty is somewhat more postmodern. And it's like philosophy. Um, Yeah, this has more of a modernist approach. um, Philosophy wise to like. You know, everyone needs to consider someone else's perspective to get along with them and looking past people's flaws to essentially love them. Yeah, um, which is it very... has a lot of elements of like closure, which doesn't exist in American Beauty. Right. And it, I think it's really easy to write off um, like the earnestness and the clicheness that this movie like like it's very easy to feel cliched when watching this like it's easy to just be like oh yeah that's just like if you care about people and think about how they think about other people then the world will be a lot better and you'll be a better person um yeah i mean ultimately i think this movie like there are plenty of films and or just stories in general where like they can have a complex web of characters and plots that all merge together and feel satisfying. And this one obviously doesn't, but each story feels very satisfying. Mm. Um, and even if some of the plots end up being more cliched, like Tom Cruise's plot, having to reconcile with his dying and then dead dad. Um, yeah. Or like John C. Riley falling in love with the, he's a cop but he loves a fucking cokehead like you know all of that stuff has definitely been done before but it's never all been put into the same story this way and all of it is executed at the highest level like this is one of tom cruise's best performances oh yeah um, hands down a great performance from john c Riley. philip baker hall is excellent william h macy's excellent julianne moore's great um Oh, who's the girl that plays um, the lady who um, falls in love with John C. Riley? Um, that I don't know. Oh, she's also famous. Melora Walters. Melora Walters. 
I don't, I don't know. The, the casting like on IMDb for this is, is all is horrendous. Well, there's a lot of people in this movie, so it makes sense. But no, um, but like the people who you would think are at the top are just not. Who's at the top? Well, Philip Baker Hall is not. William H. Macy is not. Who and is at the top? John C. Riley are just scattered out. Who's it's at the top? Tom Cruise, Jason Robards, Julianne Moore, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Pat Healy. Yeah, it's and by then, billing usually. And then Genevieve's vague, Mark Flanagan, Neil Flynn, Rod McLaughlin, Alan Groff. Yeah. Patton Oswalt. More like just the appearance. But Patton Oswalt is in this movie? Evidently. I don't remember that at all. Delmer Darian. I don't remember that either. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I agree that this is definitely one of Tom Cruise's best, uh, performances. I mean, this is just one of my favorite movies and I think a, a masterpiece. Um, I disagree with the, the criticisms levied against this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't think it takes any of its characters for granted and, like proves that Anderson can direct a very wide variety of stories and stitch them together into a movie that still makes sense, despite not, you know, having the plot be a plot, B plot, C plot, D plot all converge at the same time. They do, yeah. but not like in the same place. Yeah. It's, it's more almost, thematic than it is. Uh, it's almost an anthology, but not quite. Because the characters' stories do cross. Um, and I think that's probably where a lot of people lose the movie, where they're like, oh, well, I wish that it just, like, was blended in a little better, or I wish it, like, crossed a lot more. And it's like, well, then you're missing the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not uh, not meant to be like that. Not, not meant to be a Tarantino movie in that way. It's not meant to be, uh, what the hell is the name of that movie, where it, like continues tracking the different characters and like the bomb goes off in the stadium vantage Vantage. yes yes oh boy (laughs) talk about schlock yeah uh his next movie of note aside from saturday night live (laughs) things Uh, that he was involved in was punch drunk love i did have two two more things i wanted to say about this uh, about Magnolia. Go for it. One was that at some point while filming it, um, he was trying to get he was trying to get Tom Cruise available to shoot because Tom Cruise had been stuck in the UK for years shooting Eyes Wide Shut with Stanley Kubrick. Oh God! And so Anderson went there to get Cruise to try to hammer out when they could shoot the stuff. And uh, Anderson was able to meet Kubrick like, I don't know, six months before he died. Holy shit. Um, I remember hearing that in an interview that uh, Anderson did just being like, yeah, I just casually met Kubrick like on a off day of shooting. And he was just talking about how 
Tom Cruise was like the only actor he liked because he liked working as much as he did. Damn. Uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? Something else about Magnolia. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the end of the movie, um, the, the part that people don't necessarily get, uh, <laughs> the, the quote I've always liked that Anderson has said is like, well, if we had the budget for it, it would have rained cats and dogs. <laughs> which only makes sense if you've seen the movie but should give you more of an indication of what the movie's about if for some reason you were like huh that was dumb yeah that that also and gives you some insight into paul thomas anderson's like ideas yeah like they're not bombastic by any stretch but like they are uh really wild um, which we will get more into, especially with like pension. Um, but yeah, punch drunk love is, is this a, um, is this based on a, a different story or did he write this himself? Oh yeah. It's just written by him. Yeah. I must confess. I also haven't seen this one. It's very short. Oh, he's um, written all of his movies, by the way. Right, right. And, and did but, not co-write any of them either. But I'm, but the late some of the later ones are adapted, or at least Inherent Vice. Very loosely adapted. Yeah, Inherent Vice is the closest one, but that's just because that was he titled it after the novel. Right. Um. Yeah, <clears throat> Punch Drunk Love. So basically, he after Magnolia, he was a little burned out. Um. And he's like knew for years that he just wanted to make like a straight up hour and a half long, 90 minute romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Anderson apparently loved Adam Sandler movies. So he was like, I want to make an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> so they did. Um, this movie lost money. A lot of his <laughs> movies, um, which was too bad because it only cost 25 million to make. Damn which I imagine may have hurt his career a little bit, but obviously it didn't. Um, was that a fuzzy? It was, uh, yeah, some stray cat hair that's just floating around in this place. Nice. Uh, yeah, this, I, I don't really know how much to say about this. It is a, it is more than a by-the-numbers rom-com. Mm-hmm. Um, It's definitely, it's my least favorite Anderson movie by far. Um, It is one of Adam Sandler's better career performances. Um, Until Uncut Gems. That's why I said better, because it's definitely not Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems shits all over this movie. Um, this, This movie is like... Uh, sort of like an R-rated version of the first 50 dates with different plot elements, which is just another crappy Adam Sandler rom-com. Um, but this one at least still has the hallmarks of Anderson's writing, both his, like, sharp dialogue, his, like, really competent camera work that always keeps things moving. Um, it still hits all the major emotional beats pretty well. 
it just never hit me as hard as any of his other films. Um, like it obviously lacks the dramatic over the topness of Magnolia. Mm-hmm. It lacks the intensity and insanity of uh, both Boogie Nights and Heart Eight. Um, it doesn't examine the fascinating things that would later come with There Will Be Blood. Um, and it's just too, it feels too formulaic compared to everything he would then do in the 2010s. Right. Um, so in that way, it is kind of his like more lost movie. But when talking about Paul Thomas Anderson or even Adam Sandler, this movie does come up. Um, and for years, this movie came up as the basis for people who would defend Adam Sandler. Because for a long time, people would say, yeah, Adam Sandler's movie sucks. But we'll be right back. That one movie where, oh. Just, keep, oh. just keep talking. Mm-mm, no, we're done. 